Chapter One of Book One of Les Miserables, Volume Four by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Joyce. Les Miserables, Volume Four by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book One A Few Pages of History. Chapter One Well Cut. 1831 and 1832, the two years which are immediately connected with the Revolution of July, form one of the most peculiar and striking moments of history. These two years rise like two mountains midway between those which precede and those which follow them. They have a revolutionary grandeur. Precipices are to be distinguished there. The social masses, the very assizes of civilization, the solid group of superposed and adhering interests, century-old profiles of the ancient french formation appear and disappear in them every instant athwart the storm clouds of systems of passions and of theories these appearances and disappearances have been designated as movement and resistance at intervals truth that daylight of the human soul can be described shining there this remarkable epoch is decidedly circumscribed and is beginning to be sufficiently distant from us to allow of our grasping the principal lines even at the present day we shall make the attempt the restoration had been one of those intermediate phases hard to define in which there is fatigue buzzing murmur sleep tumult and which are nothing else than the arrival of a great nation at a halting place these epochs are peculiar and mislead the politicians who desire to convert them to profit in the beginning the nation asks nothing but repose it thirsts for but one thing peace it has but one ambition to be small which is the translation of remaining tranquil of great events great hazards great adventures great men thank god we have seen enough we have them heaped higher than our heads we would exchange caesar for prusius and napoleon for the king of Iveto. what a good little king was he we have marched since daybreak we have reached the evening of a long and toilsome day we have made our first change with mirabeau the second with robespierre the third with bonaparte we are worn out each one demands a bed devotion which is weary heroism which has grown old ambitions which are sated fortunes which are made seek demand implore solicit what a shelter they have it they take possession of peace of tranquillity of leisure behold they are content but at the same time certain facts arise compel recognition and knock at the door in their turn these facts are the products of revolutions and wars they are they exist they have the right to install themselves in society and they do install themselves therein and most of the time facts are the stewards of the household and fouriers who do nothing but prepare lodgings for principles this then is what appears to philosophical politicians at the same time that weary men demand repose accomplished facts demand guarantees guarantees are the same to facts that repose is to men this is what england demanded of the stuarts after the protector this is what france demanded of the bourbons after the empire these guarantees are a necessity of the times they must be accorded princes grant them but in reality it is the force of things which gives them a profound truth and one useful to know which the stuarts did not suspect in sixteen sixty two and which the bourbons did not even obtain a glimpse of in eighteen fourteen the predestined family which returned to france when napoleon fell had
had the fatal simplicity to believe that it was itself which bestowed and that what it had bestowed it could take back again the house of bourbon possessed the right divine that france possessed nothing and that the political right conceded in the charter of louis the eighteenth was merely a branch of the right divine was detached by the house of bourbon and graciously given to the people until such day as it should please the king to reassume it still the house of bourbon should have felt from the displeasure created by the gift that it did not come from it this house was churlish to the nineteenth century it put on an ill-tempered look at every development of the nation to make use of a trivial word that is to say of a popular and true word it looked glum the people saw this it thought it possessed strength because the empire had been carried away before it like a theatrical stage setting it did not perceive that it had itself been brought in in the same fashion it did not perceive that it also lay in that hand which had removed napoleon it thought that it had roots because it was the past it was mistaken it formed a part of the past but the whole past was france the roots of french society were not fixed in the bourbons but in the nations these obscure and lively roots constituted not the right of a family but the history of a people they were everywhere except under the throne the house of bourbon was to france the illustrious and bleeding knot in her history but was no longer the principal element of her destiny and the necessary base of her politics she could get along without the bourbons she had done without them for two-and-twenty years there had been a break of continuity they did not suspect the fact and how should they have suspected it they who fancied that louis the seventeenth reigned on the ninth of thermidor and that louis the eighteenth was reigning at the battle of marengo never since the origin of history had princes been so blind in the presence of facts and the portion of divine authority which facts contain and promulgate never had that pretension here below which is called the right of kings denied to such a point the right from on high a capital error which led this family to lay its hand once more on the guarantees granted in eighteen fourteen on the concessions as it termed them sad a sad thing what it had termed its concessions were our conquests what it termed our encroachments were our rights when the hour seemed to it to have come the restoration supposing itself victorious over bonaparte and well rooted in the country that is to say believing itself to be strong and deep abruptly decided on its plan of action and risked its stroke one morning it drew itself up before the face of france and elevating its voice it contested the collective title and the individual right of the nation to sovereignty of the citizen to liberty in other words it denied to the nation that which made it a nation and to the citizen that which made him a citizen this is the foundation of those famous acts which are called the ordinances of july the restoration fell it fell justly but we admit it had not been absolutely hostile to all forms of progress great things had been accomplished with it alongside under the restoration the nation had grown accustomed to calm discussion which had been lacking under the republic and to grandeur and peace which had been wanting under the empire france free and strong had offered an encouraging spectacle to the other peoples of europe the revolution had had the word under robespierre the cannon had had the word under bonaparte it was under louis the eighteenth and charles the tenth that it was the turn of intelligence to have the word the wind ceased and the torch was lighted once more on the lofty heights the pure light of mind could be seen flickering a magnificent useful and charming spectacle for a space of fifteen years those great principles which are so old for the thinker so new for the statesman 
could be seen at work in perfect peace on the public square equality before the law liberty of conscience liberty of speech liberty of the press the accessibility of all aptitudes to all functions thus it proceeded until eighteen thirty the bourbons were an instrument of civilization which broke in the hands of providence the fall of the bourbons was full of grandeur not on their side but on the side of the nation they quitted the throne with gravity but without authority their descent into the night was not one of those solemn disappearances which leave a sombre emotion in history was neither the spectral calm of charles i nor the eagle scream of napoleon they departed that is all they laid down the crown and retained no aureole they were worthy but they were not august they lacked in a certain measure the majesty of their misfortune charles x during the voyage from cherbourg causing a round table to be cut over into a square table appeared to be more anxious about imperiled etiquette than about the crumbling monarchy this diminution saddened devoted men who loved their persons and serious men who honored their race the populace was admirable the nation attacked one morning with weapons by a sort of royal insurrection felt itself in the possession of so much force that it did not go into a rage it defended itself restrained itself restored things to their places the government to law the bourbons to exile alas and then halted it took the old king charles the tenth from beneath that dais which had sheltered louis the fourteenth and set him gently on the ground it touched the royal personages only with sadness and precaution it was not one man it was not a few men it was france france entire france victorious and intoxicated with her victory who seemed to be coming to herself and who put into practice before the eyes of the whole world the grave words of guillaume duvert after the day of the barricades it is easy for those who are accustomed to skim the favors of the great and to spring like a bird from bough to bough from an afflicted fortune to a flourishing one to show themselves harsh towards their prince and his adversity but as for me the fortune of my kings and especially of my afflicted kings will always be venerable to me the bourbons carried away with them respect but not regret as we have just stated their misfortune was greater than they were they faded out in the horizon the revolution of july instantly had friends and enemies throughout the entire world the first rushed towards her with joy and enthusiasm the others turned away each according to his nature at the first blush the princes of europe the owls of this dawn shut their eyes wounded and stupefied and only opened them to threaten a fright which can be comprehended a wrath which can be pardoned this strange revolution had hardly produced a shock it had not even paid to vanquished royalty the honor of treating it as an enemy and of shedding its blood in the eyes of despotic governments who are always interested in having liberty calumniate itself the revolution of july committed the fault of being formidable and of remaining gentle nothing however was attempted or plotted against it the most discontented the most irritated the most trembling saluted it whatever our egotism and our rancor may be a mysterious respect springs from events in which we are sensible of the collaboration of some one who is working above man the revolution of july is the triumph of right overthrowing the fact a thing which is full of splendor right overthrowing the fact hence the brilliancy of the revolution of eighteen thirty hence also its mildness right triumphant has no need of being violent right is the just and the true the property of right is to remain eternally beautiful and pure the fact even when most necessary to all appearances 
even when most thoroughly accepted by contemporaries, if it exist only as a fact, and if it contain only too little of right or none at all, is infallibly destined to become, in the course of time, deformed, impure, perhaps even monstrous. If one desires to learn at one blow to what degree of hideousness the fact can attain, viewed at the distance of centuries, let him look at Machiavelli. Machiavelli is not an evil genius, nor a demon, nor a miserable and cowardly writer. He is nothing but the fact. And he is not only the Italian fact, he is the European fact, the fact of the sixteenth century. He seems hideous, and so he is, in the presence of the moral idea of the nineteenth. This conflict of right and fact has been going on ever since the origin of society. To terminate this duel, to amalgamate the pure idea with the humane reality, to cause right to penetrate specifically into the fact and the fact into the right, that is the task of sages. End of Book One, Chapter One